Welcome to Packet Pushes, Priority Queue, a data networking podcast that gets technical faster than a discussion of a 400 gigabit pulse amplitude modulation for modulation rate on the signaling density. Yeah, well, you know what I've been reading this week. In today's sponsored show with Juniper Networks, we are diving into the world of silicon and ASICs. Now, I think most people will know by now that Merchant Silicon has changed how our switches and routers are physically manufactured and designed. As an industry, we are somewhat shifting our focus away from the, a network of devices to a system of devices operated using software apps. The old days of the you know, CLI on the router is transforming into something that tends to be more software defined. And this was in partly driven by the unbundling or the disaggregation of our network devices. We've stopped thinking of network devices as a monolithic system with apps, operating systems and hardware in a closed, vertically integrated bundle and move to a more modular, flexible architecture. We start to think about the device and the operating system and the apps has three different parts that come together to produce the whole system. Now, sure, you might not be buying your hardware from one vendor or in your network operating system from another and building your own apps, but you could, right? So I'll be the first to admit that this can get confusing. Learning about ASICs and CPUs and internal buses inside your switches is not part of the basic and simple training that most of us receive. Why do some switches use Broadcom ASICs and others, use, such as Juniper, use their own custom silicon? Why do we do that? What's the decision-making process? What's some of the insights into that? And that's the sort of issues that we want to cover in today's podcast with Chang Hon Wu. He's a VP in the silicon strategy for Juniper, and you could walk away with some insights. So let's start with a discussion by summarizing what we're going to discuss in today's show, and then we're going to dive into the details and pick it apart. So Chang Hong. Why don't you give us a three-minute elevated pitch on Juniper's silicon strategy? Give us a give us the nutshell version. Thanks, Greg, for that introduction. Uh, you you make some great points. Juniper makes our own ASIC to add value to the product we produce. Hmm. We also use merchant silicon in in some use cases, but then our own ASIC really is to add a lot more value. So we focus on programmability and scale. So right now we have mainly two lines of ASICs. One is mm-hmm. the express line, which focuses on more efficiency, still providing the scale. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the uh, trio and panther line of ASICs, uh, which is the focus of this podcast. So the emphasis of this trio and panther line is programmability. We can support more features, much larger scale, and building security. And the uh, product that express goes in are the uh, PTX and uh, QFX 10,000 product lines, and mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Penta and Trio ASICs are the MX lines. And then, of course, you've got the merchant silicon from the more traditional stuff that everybody knows about for lines where that makes sense. That's correct. For example, in data center switching, in certain segments of the data center switching, when the scale requirement is not as high and the feature requirement is not as high, uh, we do use motion silicon in those segments. So let's get straight into the details and pick this apart so we can really go along. What we're seeing here is that Juniper's got its own custom silicon ASICs, which have high value, high function, high features. And then there's also some merchant silicon in the stack. So let's kick off getting into the details of that. But maybe the best thing is to set a baseline around the discussion. So what's some of the basic principles around uh, you know, doing ASICs? There's, there's different types of sil- custom silicon and ASICs, like MPU's ASICs. So let's, let's dive into those. What are they? Where are they used? I mean, people start building router using uh, general purpose CPUs, but as traffic increases, uh, they cannot keep up. So so people will start doing um, a specialized silicon for that. And yeah. FPGA is one of the possible ways. FPGA is something that you can program after it is uh, produced onto the product. Hmm. Uh, you, you can change that on the fly, if you will. Uh, not on the fly as like you, you change it every second, but then you can you can certainly reprogram it when needed 
and then put that into production. Mm. But then even you can that, actually load apps into the asset. You can actually run. It's sort of like a pseudo software, as I understand. You push it into the FPGA, and the FPGA actually reconfigures its silicon pathway so you can execute instructions at near wire speed, but flexible enough so you can change the programs around occasionally. Yeah, that that's correct. But the problem with that is the programmability of the FPGA come with a very high cost uh, compared with a specifically designed function. It probably is an order of magnitude difference in, in terms of cost of silicon. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. why people, uh, once people know what we are going to design the function in and we don't want to change it too often, mm-hmm. people start doing ASICs or MPUs. I mean, there's not really that much difference in, in, in that regard. People just call this networking ASIC as MPUs because they can be programmed mostly. So, mm. uh, An MPU, a network processor unit, an MPU is normally... I have this vision of it as kind of like being a CPU that's sort of designed to optimize the forwarding of packets. Somewhat correct. Yep. Uh, that's how people use it. So in that sense, the Trio and Pentaline is really a very optimized MPU still. Mm-hmm. Um, the Trio line of uh, or the Pentaline of the product we use, it's a seal of CPUs. We, we, it's a number of parallelly executed processor cores. We, we call those PPEs for core, uh, packet processing, processing engine. engine. Yeah. So these uh, tend to be a lot more efficient than the regular, the, the general purpose CPUs and even FPGAs. But mm. then there's another way of doing this. Uh, people more call that in ASICs, regular ASICs are the fixed pipeline architecture. And that's what we do uh, in, a, in our express line. So we have general purpose CPUs, MIPS x86, where packets come in and then an app does the lookups and the tables and in general purpose computing. And then we have FPGAs, which is like a, a an app, it's silicon, but you can actually load programs into the chip itself so that the, it configures the CPU. But it's very expensive to write FPGA software. Then we have the networking processing units or the packet processing engines. They're kind of the same thing, I think. Is that right? MPUs yeah. and PPEs are kind of the same thing. Oh, uh, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's kind of a bit of a syntax thing, but but they're basically. CPUs that are optimized for forwarding packets. So they rip, they pull the packet signal, packet off, do some stuff to it, and then send it out. But they're still programmable to a lesser or greater degree. And the, but the throughput, because they're programmable, they're quite often slower. So you couldn't do a high speed switch or a high speed router with those. And then the final stage, then, if I'm reading this back to you, is then we create a custom ASIC. And that ASIC has all the functions built in at the time that the ASIC is printed in the in the fab. And that's it. Whatever the features are that are in there, that's all you're going to get. Yeah, that's the fixed pipeline ASICs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's what I yeah refer to. But in, in the Panda line that we are focused on today, it's very programmable. So it's a seal of CPUs that, that uh, are optimized yep. to process packets. Um, so in the, in the hardwired signals that have been put into the ASIC, there's still a lot of programmable features. So instead of having a static pipeline that does one thing, then one thing, then one thing, you know, like read the packet, read the Ethernet, read the IP, read the MPLS tag, I can change this, I can add the QOS tag, I can change the, v, you know, that's add a VXLAN tag. It's much more programmable. Now I can say if I read these bits, I can reprogram these bits. Exactly, exactly. In fact, the, the, the PPEs inside the Penta A6 are really a quite general purpose uh, VLIW. It's a very long instruction word, uh, mm-hmm. uh, instruction set that are optimized to 
extract packet fields, to sequence the packets, and to, to perform lookup functions that are in a very efficient way so that they can be both programmable and high performance and with the scale that the large-scale network, the, the internet, mm -hmm. uh, requires. So uh, there are a three-part block that uh, one of our distinguished engineers in our group, Jeff Levy, wrote, uh, available in the forums.juniper.net. If you mm -hmm. search for trio packet processing, there's a three-part uh, block that he wrote that, that summarizes this a lot better than then I can talk in 15 minutes because it has pictures <laughs> and everything like that. If, you're, if people are interested, go go there and, 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 and take a look. Well, we'll make sure that that gets into the show notes. So if you want to find out, get really, really into the idea. And I do recommend that you do. If you're a network engineer, as I said in the intro, this is part of what you never get taught in the normal education cycle because it's it's very much in the weeds, it's in the details. But if you want to understand what your devices are doing, and that's why we asked Juniper to start talking about this stuff is because understanding the engine inside the routers lets you understand the difference as to why this switch does that and that router does that. And it's key to the value and why this router costs so much and why this router doesn't. That's what we wanted to talk about today. Right, that's correct. I mean, the instruction set in Penta really is very optimized for packet processing because packet processing is still quite different from general purpose processing. I mean, general purpose processing, I mean, you deal with words, you deal with data structure that are, that are much bigger. And in packet processing, you are basically dealing with bits all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you have to modify bits, you have to extract bits, and you have to make decision. It's much more branchy. Than, than a regular general purpose uh, code that you use on a desktop. So the instruction set for the Panda Silicon really is very much optimized towards such uh, use cases. So that's why this thing can be so much more efficient. Uh, in fact, we estimated it to be probably two order magnitude better than a general purpose CPU in processing packets. The way you're describing the, the Penta, it, it sounds ideal for a whole lot of applications, but yet... Uh, Juniper still uses Merchant Silicon in some places. So how do you make that d decision? You're going to put Trio or Penta into a box versus uh, Merchant. Yeah, like I said, it, it it's the use cases. So if you have a use case that you do not know the future of it, <laughs> that that's a pretty difficult mm. way of putting it. <laughs> uh, let, let me let me say another way. For example, there 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 are new protocols coming out all the time. The new Yes. Uh, even packet formats coming out all the time, right? So, for example, VXLAN and even SR, SRV6, Beer, and mm -hmm. all of those are coming out all the time. So, if you have a uh, merchant silicon that has fixed pipeline design ten years ago, you will never be able to process these packets, right? Mm -hmm. So, but. Uh, in, because those in the, those packet those ASICs were designed at a time when those new protocols weren't even on the horizon, so they pro they forward effect efficiently whatever they were designed to forward at that time a decade ago, IP maybe IPv6 and whatever other encapsulation types and and that's it. So as you're saying, the IETF's coming out with new standards. You can't use those older ASIC designs to forward those because they don't have the capability. Correct. Correct, okay. because they, they build in the function when they when they print the ASIC, when they produce the ASIC, uh, whatever you don't know at that time, you don't know, so how to process them. But in this trio or Panda line of ASIC, uh, it, they are all fully supported. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the routers we, produ we produced 10 years ago in the MX line, we used them to demo all these new features 
they are fully supported on these routers, mm. uh, even with the silicon we produced 10 years ago. So that's, you, you can see the, the power mm. of the programmability. Yeah. And at the same time, of course, I mean, I want to emphasize that it's like we, we, we still do it efficiently, right? So, so that's the difference between this programmability and the general purpose CPU. So, so one one more point of clarification here. I mean, Juniper still does use merchant silicon in certain boxes, and and yes, we understand it's use case specific. Um, does that mean it's um, if there's an ASIC that'll do what you need for now, and it's got a reasonable amount of uh, of longevity to it, is it cheaper to use the merchant silicon and put that in that switcher router? Yes, if you know the function you need to support in that use case and you don't think it's going to change much in the future, it's certainly cheaper and perhaps even higher bandwidth uh, per dollar to use some of the merchant silicon. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's merchant silicon. It just uses use some silicon that's more fixed in functions. Merchant mm. silicon is certainly one of the possibilities. Uh, yes. So what you're saying is merchant silicon tends to be much more limited in scope, has lower flexibility, whereas the the, the chipsets, that the Penta and the Trio that Juniper puts together, for example, those two main lines of ASICs that you have are really focused on very flexible functionality. You could take any encapsulation, any type of packet format and make almost any change to the packet as it moves through the forwarding engine. That's correct. Mm. That's the situation so far in the yeah. in the market today. Uh, not to say that the merchant silicon cannot <laughs> cannot produce the same kind of things in the future as well. That I I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, things are moving. You know, for the first time, things are moving very fast in in the silicon this day. In the preparation for this, I was looking at the you know the Penta chipset is running a sixteen nanometer process. Is that right? That's correct. So that's a really modern design, whereas. You know, it's a lot of the cheaper chipsets out there are actually running out at 20 or 30 or 40 nanometers. I'm not sure of the exact size, but they're, they're using older production facilities to save cost. And that also means they burn more power and they also run a little slower. Is that also a fair statement? There are certainly silicons out there using older process, but then mm -hmm. uh, motion silicon these days are very much up to date with the with the silicon process as well. There right. there are uh, 60 nanometer ASICs of motion silicon mm -hmm. uh, out there today, although they don't provide as much programmability as, as the Penta uh, chipset, like we mentioned, but they do provide very high uh, performance. Right, but and, at the loss of flexibility. The and the loss that flexibility. That's all. Yeah, that that's really what 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 the Penta really delivers. Flexibility is one is one aspect. Uh, the other aspect that we are trying to address in the Penta line also is the is the scale requirements. Uh, the scale in routes, scale in uh, number of tunnels, number of queues, and all of that. So so we we, um, and that's another focus of of, of this Penta ASIC as well. When we're talking about scale, it sounds like large scale where you've got service providers or maybe uh, hyperscalers that need to have a million or more routes and maybe MAC addresses and tunnels, that sort of scale? Uh, that's correct. And in fact, it it, it's, it goes way beyond million, uh, low millions. Uh, once you have VPNs um, and, and other things, um, the databases uh, becomes much bigger than, than just a normal uh, IPv4 route scale. And in fact, if IPv6 in the next few years takes off uh, the number of routes or the space required to, to accomplish what 
is accomplished today will we, we increase, and that's what uh, this Panda Silicon Excel set. Yeah, and and we saw that Ethan in the era of the first generation of merchant silicon chipsets being used in the data center, they could only handle. 16,000 MAC addresses or 32,000 MAC addresses. There'd be some big trade-off, yeah. You, you could yeah. maybe program that chip to favor one versus the other. There'd be a little bit of flexibility there, how you allocate mm. that chip's resources. But it it was finite, right? Mm. And, and a million yep. seemed to be a pretty common limit uh, yeah. overall. And you have maybe would have to split that up. Mm -hmm. And people who run campus networks will also know this. They know that certain, not so much of a problem today, but in there was a time in years gone by, why in a switch could only hold 4,000 MAC addresses or 1,000 yeah. MAC addresses. And you had to be very careful with your VLAN design to make sure that you weren't putting too many VLANs down to a certain edge address because it, when the flooding happened, the MAC table might run out and then the switch will, sometimes the switch would become unpredictable or not, depending on the, the quality of the implementation. So, but Cheng uh, Hong, there, it's more than just the uh, number of routes and MAC addresses and, and tunnel terminations. It's also... You know, inspections that are going on potentially or, or uh, ACLs, these kind of things too, correct? That's correct. The number of filters or ACLs uh, that build into our ASICs, uh, the scale is much larger than, 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 uh, than what is out there. Um, how, did, how does this all tie into uh, a telemetry? Is that also a you know, feature and function here? And I ask that in the context of we're hearing more and more chips coming to about more and more chips coming to market where there's telemetry right on the chip and you can stream off chip uh, as long as you can interpret the uh, the data and get uh, get lots of valuable information that way more or less in real time. That's a very good question. That's what actually this Panda ASIC excels at as well because this is the data plane. So so the data is right there. The the packet uh, statistics are right there in in the chip. And because of the programmability of, of, of this Penta uh, ASIC, uh, we can package those uh, statistics into a format and stream that out to whoever the agent that needs this data in real time, and in, which gives you complete visibility of, of, of the network in, in a very efficient manner. Um, yeah, this, this is one of the criticisms I've heard of Merchant Silicon in that building telemetry systems that do things like count packets or you want to be able to say, I need to know how many M packets came in with MPLS tags. That's not particularly simple to do when you're operating at 100 gigabits per second. You know, if you're operating a router that's shifting a terabit per second through it, you can't just sort of like go add one to the register, add one to the register, because the CPU is just going to choke. Yeah, that's what's the beauty of the programmability building into the data plane. Have to stream those data out. You can extract the data as it flows through, so you don't have to overwhelm the small CPU outside of the chip for those functions. And also, these telemetry format changes all the time as well. There is no standard currently. Yeah. So uh, that's so that is one thing that uh, our customer really appreciate is that uh, whatever format that they use in their internal network monitoring, we can produce that. Okay. So what do customers get from this custom silicon? What if you're on a router? Can I say like I want to create my own MPLS tag instead of using the twenty bit standard? I want to add my own tag into this packet. Can I do that? Oh, certainly you can do that. Although I, I'm not sure it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> a discussion for another day. No. I, I mean, there are use cases, like there are telemetry use cases where injecting a tag into something. So the data center use case that some people are using this for is putting a custom tag in. So as the packet traverses the network, you can actually track 
you know, each device in the path adds some information, some metadata to the device, and away it goes. Uh, it requires an integration between the control plane. Of course, you still have to have uh, some sort of signaling to say what tag to put in and what's the meaning of that tag, but you could. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, these are all supported. People <laughs> need to uh, treat this a lot more carefully than <laughs> because changing packet format is something that needs to be handled. And also, you, I mean, you probably don't have this Panda Ace everywhere in your network. You have to make sure that other devices in the network right. will be right. able to support it as well. Uh, well, you know, here's an opportunity. Everybody should have a device with it. <laughs> I, I wanted that more than anything else, but that's probably not the reality. Yeah. So you also made a point here about DPI scale, so deep packet inspection scale. How does the Penta do? Because deep packet inspection is kind of like you have to inspect every packet and then you have to ramp up a lot of counters. Are you saying that your silicon has better processing engines as well, like just faster at processing? Yeah, and faster processing and also access to the packet because it's really a, a very high-performance uh CPU with uh, with a lot of processing power inside this ASIC. Uh, in fact, we look at this in the Penta ASIC. We have ninety six cores of PPEs, ninety six PPEs. Each of them runs uh, about thirty threads. So it's a very powerful uh, programmable device, if you will. And it also because it's a run to completion engine, each packet really you can sit there doing as much work as you. You, you want to before you mm. split it out. That is the potential you can do, but there's obviously, there's a limit to that. Uh, any packet go in, you, you have to meet the line rate. So, I mean, you cannot go overboard, but, yeah. but that's something that at least gives you the potential to do so, unlike uh, the fixed pipeline architectures. Yeah, the fixed pipeline architectures, the packet can only go through. That's why in many of the lower cost switches in the data center, for those people who know, you can only do a certain number of actions on a device. Like the early generations of Merchant Silicons, you could receive a VXLAN encapsulated packet and strip the VXLAN header off, but then you couldn't route it because you'd run out of steps in the pipeline. That would be the easiest one to explain, I guess. That's an excellent point. In mm -hmm. fact, so because uh, the Penta ASIC used microcode to process the packet, you, you mm -hmm. can look as deep as you need it to mm -hmm. process all the headers and depending on the last header, you probably need to make a decision to what to do in the next one. There is no set path that you need to go through. Yeah, that okay. So now that's a really good point. What you're saying here is that as we do packet encapsulation, packet encapsulation, or MPLS tag, MPLS tag, or MPLS over GRE, over VXLAN, over beer, or what you know, whatever it is. That you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything that people are crazy enough to to create. Yeah. Yes. In the and network. every one of those would have had to have been a fixed function. If I see this pattern, this happens. But what you just alluded to there is that you need flexibility because you could say I might see a VRF. I might see an MPLS tag indicating that this is in this VRF. So therefore, I need to use that lookup table forwarding but if afterneath that i see a vxlan tag i might actually have to read that vxlan tag to find out what's actually inside what is the forwarding ip address of that for some reason because i might need to terminate the vxlan inside a vrf precisely so so that that's what is the programmability and the flexibility really brings and also with all of that also the the large scale of the tables really come into play because you can have all these functions f with multiple level lookups in, all in one device. In mm. fact, uh, recently, uh, uh, the MX uh, introduced a node slicing or, or, or virtualization of a router. You can actually have multiple, almost looks like multiple routers inside one physical router, multiple virtual 
routers inside one physical routers. Um, mm. That's one reason that we support more than a million uh, uh, FIP entries and all of that, right? Because mm. once you isolate that, that each one uh, will have their own. So, yeah, but so it, I think also what you were alluding to when you started out making that point was you might have a global routing table with IPv6 and IPv4 routes. So you might have a million routes. But if you're doing VXLAN termination inside of a private VRF, you might yep. now have 60,000 MAC addresses inside of a VXLAN overlay that you now have to hold in the memory state as well. Correct. And those and then, are all, all resided in the accessible from the ASIC with, with very fast uh, access to, yeah, you can run Yeah, it has to be like rate. nanosecond level lookups to get that sort of performance. So Correct. Um, there is DR, there are limitations, physical limitations inside the silicon. You can't make an infinite amount of DRAM inside of there or, or TCAM memory to do the lookups. <laughs> Another great question. We don't use TCAM for lookups. So that, that has been for Juniper, uh, okay. Juniper's routers uh, signature since the start. Uh, TCAMs are expensive. Uh, mm -hmm. They are power hungry and they have very limited capacities. We use, uh, uh, in different generation of the ASICs, we use different memory technologies because uh, the memory technology also change all the time and they change quite slowly, in fact. So we have to use whatever is available at a time we develop, we, we help the memory vendors develop new memories in, in, in some cases. So we use our lookup technology uses mainly internal SRAM as well as external uh, ILD RAM in the, in, the, in, the, in the first few generations, a, a uh, EDRAM based, Juniper mm -hmm. produce ASIC for, for that lookup as well. And lately, we have been using uh, 3D memories, uh, the uh, hyper memory queue as well as HBM. So you're uh, using multiple memory, physical memory architectures. To get right, on different generations, different generations. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in the Penta ASIC, we use a very big internal SRAM plus the external HBM to, mm -hmm. to do those lookups. So also, we optimize the uh, local architecture so that they, they provide very big scale at the same time as using very much, very low power. So th there's an interesting point here that uh, hopefully I'm understanding this right. You said earlier that, that occasionally the Penta or the Trio silicon can be cheaper than the Merchant silicon. Is this part of the reason that's the case? Cheaper, it's a relative term, right? It's cheaper for the application that you want to support. So for a given speed or a given capability, it would be... Penter and, and Trio make more sense than Merchant because it can do it. That's correct. And you might be able to use one of these systems instead of multiple of other ones to provide the same function. It's just like one of the examples you brought up is like you cannot have all the MAC addresses as well as the route tables mm. in the same device. Then you may maybe, but if you need both of those functions, you have to use multiple devices to get it done. But in this case, with the MX and the Penta A6, you, you can do it with one, right? So so that that's where the value comes in. And also it's much easier to manage as well. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's not an absolute answer to say this key feature is automatically cheaper. It's a subjective answer depending on the terms and, you know, the conditions that you want to achieve and the outcome you want to achieve. That's correct. The custom silicon can still be cheaper than merchant silicon for a given issue. That's correct. And, and cheap is only one thing. The other one is that you have a business to run. I mean, you, you have to provide certain function and certain service that you want to provide to your customers, which is the, the service provider's uh, value add. So that is something if, if the merchant silicon cannot provide you, and MX and the Panda Silicon will, will provide that to you.
All right. So I think we're we're moving through the the discussion here, talking about some of the features. We've mainly been focusing on how Trio and Pentasilicon has this capability for deep packet inspection and deep flexibility around the packet things. Now, recently we saw a new version of the Pentasilicon release. What's is there some specific features in there that that customers should be looking for? Yes. Uh, one very uh, big thing we put in building into this chip is the encryption capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, uh, the Panda Silicon is a it's a newest generation of the Trio line. Um, mm. So we are backward compatibility with all the uh, previously uh, released uh, silicon. So whatever supported previously is fully supported in this new new silicon already. So uh, which is a lot of the the, the, the features. Uh, for example, the uh, full programmability that we recently demoed, the P4 translation support, uh, which is, uh, again, available on the system we released 10 years ago, <laughs> 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 uh, as well as any of the new uh, format, uh, uh, the, uh, the packet formats, as well as the, uh, the, the, the new protocols that, that, that recently introduced. Mm. You, you just said a lot of things there, and we got to back up and talk about some of these. Now, you just mentioned the chip has encryption capabilities. Let's dive into that. Does that mean uh, MacSec, IPsec, I assume, or, or other things too? It has MacSec on 100 gig ports and all the 100, 100 gig ports and below. Um, it, it has uh, built-in IPsec capabilities. Uh, the IPsec capability is uh, running at half the throughput because it, it needs to go through the processing engine twice. Uh, because the first first is to to identify it is IPsec, and then we need to decrypt it, uh, and then we 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 look up the decrypted packet afterwards. Um, so 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 the chip itself is a 500 gig uh, ASIC, and in IPsec, when IPsec is enabled, is 250 gig uh, performance. But it's, that is still much better than than anything that's out there. Okay, so we've got encryption, and then you mentioned uh, several different programmability features. You mentioned P4. How does P4 fit in? I mean, a lot of folks think of P4, and they they automatically go over to to Barefoot and think of Tofino. Uh, but P4 is, as you guys are demonstrating, getting more more wide industry adoption. What's the Juniper use case for P4 and Penta? This is really customer driven. So if they would like to program our routers uh, with P4 uh, support. Uh, we are just uh, what we uh, Juniper uh, provide is a translation from the P4 uh, format into our programs, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because of the full programmability of uh, Trio and Penta, probably we can support P4 better than their proponents. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this chipset can support, right? So there are more features that we can actually support uh, uh, than 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 a uh, programmable pipeline can do. Because a programmable pipeline still is a pipeline. You have to move the packet along. And we don't have to do that uh, in, in, in this ASIC. And of course, there's other ways you could program uh, this chip as well, I'm assuming. I mean, P4 is is right, the, the new hotness that a lot of people are interested in. And you've got the translation service in there to make that happen for those folks that are interested in P4. But uh, there's other ways I could program the chip as well? We also provide a uh, public accessible toolkit. Uh, it's called AFT or AFI. We have it's a direct silicon API support, uh, which we, we released uh, to the for, for others to use. Uh, our customer can use that to program our ASIC directory. 
Got it. Not, not that many customers would be doing this necessarily, but the, but the features and functionality are there to do that. Um, talk to us again about, you, you mentioned the ability to forward all kinds of funky packet formats, uh, like whatever the IETF might be coming up with uh, this week, uh, whatever, whatever <laughs> showing up. Uh, and I think you mentioned uh, Spring and Beer and Rift. Uh, Google Protobuf has come up, and these are all topics that we've covered on Packet Pushers, or at least mentioned them in different shows before. Uh, and, and the idea there, I think, uh, Cheng Hong, is you support those, but since it's a programmable chipset, if the IETF comes up with something new uh, at the next meeting and it's ratified and people are interested in it, you could support that as well? That's correct. So these are just examples of what have we have been dealing with yeah just like i said i mean the first trio base mx release in 2009 right so so mm-hmm. i mean all of these features are all supported in that product so mm-hmm. so whatever yeah whatever people come up with in the future uh, whether it's a good idea or not i don't know but uh, <laughs> well, i think we, also we can all do it <laughs> you know yeah. the, the, the goal behind things like p4 is it also lets people prove out some of this technology in the network so if you decide that you want to create a, a new 40-bit mpls tag remember there was a uh, there was one thing called network services headers which was a 160-bit tag that went into a packet and that was going to be used for service training and i think it sort of died a death when people realized that the control plane <laughs> depends on who you ask buddy them's fighting mm-hmm. words for some people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's just say i'm not seeing any fire and not a lot of smoke around network services header this week but um you know maybe these things these things do go quite for years but in theory you could write a p4 app to test out this 160-bit network services header and work on it and then take that data back to the itf and say we need to get this standardized you could prove it on this sort of flexible technology yeah, yeah. Uh, it it doesn't really need to be P four. I mean, it, it better if you if you write it in the AFI uh, interface where we directly support that. Take away one of the uh, indirections. Certainly, uh, you 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 can do that. In fact, uh, we have a virtual MX product that you can download from from our website. Um, that that uses the same interface uh, uh, to to. That you can program the real uh, MX router, the Panda Silicon. Uh, that you can test that out without investing in any of the Juniper uh, hardware first. And mm. then, if you prove that out, you like uh, what you see, and you just want a higher scale and higher performance version. Uh, all the work you have done is directly. You don't need any modification. You can you can you can port it from the virtual MX to MX uh, without any extra work. So you could actually do the prototyping, get the packet working, and then in theory push it into a hardware network for even a second stage of testing to make sure that it would work. Maybe if you wanted to test interoperability or something like that, and then so there's yeah. a whole pipeline of capabilities there. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it's not just. Uh, I mean, in the interoperability, you can you can use even even virtual MX because that is a real router, although it doesn't run very fast. Uh, well, compared with the, the hardware. <laughs> ASIC based routers, but then all of the work, as long as you you uh, you, you prove it out in a virtual version of MX, you, you you can use in our in our physical version of it uh, very handily. Yeah, and, and that's so something that a lot of our customers a, actually find it useful. Don't need a quarter of a million dollar router to do a prototype or a, to work out if an idea is a good idea. Yeah, 
which is always a which always always, always a limitation. That's <laughs> hmm. something. Now you've, you've, we've mentioned the trio and the pentasilicon. We've mentioned the MX line of routers. Is that the only place in the Juniper line I would find trio and penta? Is in MX or other products as well? The main, the main product is in MX. Uh, we do find them in uh, our security boxes, uh, the SIX as mm-hmm. well, um, and some of the high-end uh, ACX uh, devices are also used uh, trio and penta line of silicon. And hopefully in the future, the Panda Silicon in the high-end EX product as well. Okay. I wanted to ask a question about buffers. We didn't talk about buffers and buffer management in silicon. To, and I think it's one of these issues where a lot of vendors make an assertion that um, having deep buffers and the ability to to manage packet flows in those buffers is a key feature. Is that something that's part of the silicon? Yes. In fact, we integrated a uh, hierarchical uh, QoS function uh, like consumer level of queuing, hierarchical queuing uh, mm-hmm. function in this silicon. And then that's available in the Penta silicon as well. So uh, Penta silicon also uh, is much more flexible in, in, in its uh, uh, previous generation. Uh, we can use a variety of uh, internal SRAM as well as external DRAM to buffer the packet uh, in a fairly flexible way to to improve the power efficiency as well as the performance uh, of the routers as well. So having smart having memory buffer memory on board of these ASICs is actually a key feature. It's not a, uh, something that's just a thing. Right. Well, on board is uh, it. There are several ways of dealing with on board. Uh, so some of the SRAMs are on die. Uh, so it's inside the ASIC die. And mm-hmm. some of these are external to the ASIC die. Uh, those are the external DRAMs I talk about. And previously, mm-hmm. in the previous generation, these are all outside of the package of the ASIC. Uh, they sit on the board. And in this, in, in the Penta, these so-called HBM or high bandwidth memories are actually inside the package already. So, okay. so they are they are co-packaged with with the. Uh, so they're on the die the on the chip die uh, on on the package. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not on the ASIC. Die ah, it's okay, next right. yep. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the three D memories that 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 uh, that uh, the memory vendors produced, and then mm-hmm. they they sit on the so called silicon interposer uh, mm-hmm. inside the package. So together with the ASIC, these uh, give very high bandwidth as well as low power. This is the second generation. We we use this stack of three D DRAMs. Uh, previous generation, we used the hybrid memory cube. Uh, which we, we work with Micron to produce. And I mm. even wrote a blog about that and how the history, how we created that and all of that. You can find it in forum.geneva.net. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, these are very, very uh, good memory technology innovations in the last few years. And I think that buffer management is actually a key feature of the Juniper Routers, that ability to have better like flexible buffering capabilities and programmable buffering capabilities that you might change your mind about the buffering algorithms over time because some of these ASICs actually have the buffering uh, statically set in as the ASICs are made. Correct. So the the queuing hierarchy uh, as well as the feature and how how the bandwidth are allocated uh, between between different queues and how many queues each port supports and how many layer of hierarchy. For example, you have video, you have voice, you have cut. So there's no end diff- to how much. There's no 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 end to how much flexibility and cost you could possibly imagine. 
Yeah, yeah, and also uh, you you could have uh, customer based queuing, and then you have next level per home and per community and all of that. Uh, it's uh, yeah. we, we have uh, the Panasilicon supports uh, uh, several. Layers of hierarchy of scheduling, and each each layer has their own ways, have their own weights, and all of that. So it's very very flexible. Um, so so that's very special on this trio and and, and the Panther uh, Asics. Chen Hung, if I remember right, Juniper bought a silicon photonics company a couple of years ago or so. Are we going to see silicon photonics coming to market in some meaningful way anytime soon? Yes, I think that's the next. <laughs> that's the next big thing, right? So, so it, I cannot predict the exact timing of it because uh, these things are complex. But then the promise of the technology is certainly uh, very much in our minds. Because well, thing, thing is, you're here, and you know, I've always said to people that silicon photonics is the ability to use um, the silicon that's used to manufacture ASICs. And to use the same silicon constructs at the same fabrication to actually laze, to create lasers. So that's the photonics part. And you use that to communicate between stages inside the ASIC die. Is that correct? Or am I fundamentally wrong somewhere? No, you are, you are, you are not wrong. Uh, it's just the progress will come in stages. Uh, currently, really, it's just I think the first step of silicon photonic technology will go into just more efficiently produce uh, pluggable optics. Yeah. Right? So, so that's the cost part of it, right? So, in the future, what it promised to do is more integration. We can integrate these uh, silicon photonic transceivers uh, in the same package, yeah. Uh, perhaps uh, with 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 the switching ASIC, and then it can provide much higher bandwidth out of a single ASIC package. Because I mean, these days electronics really is close. To running out of steam in terms of the in in and out bandwidth out of the ASIC, silicon uh, photonics will provide uh, a big relief out of that. In fact, in the next few years, uh, we with integrated uh, these optics uh, within the package, we can probably produce see a 50 to 100 terabit uh, uh, bandwidth coming out of a single package. Uh, that mm. that is something that that. A silicon photonics promised to produce, and that's not so. Yeah, and the and the reason that that's so important, as I understand it, is because you can't drive signaling on electrons at that speed. That the it's just not. It it becomes impractical to drive signals at that speed using electrons in silicon substrates. Yeah, in the, in the, in the package that we we have, I mean, electronic signals they're. Two limitations. One is that they they attenuate very fast, so they, you cannot drive them very fast and very far. Hmm. Um, so in fact, we are almost there. Uh, the speed. So 25, 28 gig series. Hmm. Um, the the product is going to go out in the next few months. The next year is going to be fifty six gig series, and in the next hmm. generation, will be one hundred twelve gig series. And the industry, nobody is predicting we'll put produce 224 gig series of for example so no. we are near the end of it yeah. um there's another thing is like how many wires can you come out can you make out of an asic and we are also near the, the limit already so like electronics uh, communication we are close to the end of the line so yeah. uh it, it won't be any more copper cabling it's just not that's right so yeah. so uh 
on the other hand, optics doesn't have any of those problems. So, so um, the, it doesn't attenuate as much inside a fiber. In fact, it doesn't barely attenuate, and also it doesn't interfere with each other. We put them very close to each other. So, so yeah, both of those problems. As you propagate a signal down a, a copper, the copper pushes the the, the 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 medium of copper pushes back against the signal and causes distortion. Well, and also you you distort mm. the the wires next to you, right? You cannot put them too close. But the optics doesn't have any of those problems. So, so there's a lot of promise with 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 optical communications. Well, there, there is a lot of promise as you're mentioning here, but it has seemed like it's taken forever before these as these products uh, are developing. We're just we're still. Not as you put it, you're like, yes, they'll be to market eventually. <laughs> do, do, <laughs> what is it about this technology that's making it so difficult to productize? It's just complicated physics. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> I hear people are making great progress, so so we should see some of these in the in the near future. But until then, physics, right? <laughs> yeah, that that's that's the bitch, right? <laughs> and and one other thing that you drew out in the prep for this was you talked about liquid cooling. Is cooling a problem in networking devices? Not something we normally hear talked about. You know, uh, you know, airflow or whatever. Networking devices are we worry about power consumption, but you you raise liquid cooling as an issue. Well, it when whenever you heard about power consumption. It, it automatically is a cooling problem because uh, it's partially to do with the slowdown of the Moore's law. Right? So, so, uh, so currently, before uh, maybe ten years ago, when a new generation of silicon process comes out, everything gets better. Right. So, so uh, the the performance gets better, the, the the device density gets better, and the power gets better. But these days, the density may get better. Uh, the performance may get a little better, it's not as bad as good as before, but power really doesn't do very much. So uh, so the power of devices as new generation comes out, the power usually goes up and, and the cooling problem, it gets uh, more and more severe. So in terms of liquid, the fundamental science behind it really is uh, water or even any other liquid has much higher heat capacity than air. So it has it's much better cooling medium than air. And also air goes everywhere. You cannot control them very well, but liquid you can you can con- restrict them into a pipe. So so, right, where so, the so heat, they get hot is right on top of the Yeah, seat. yeah. There's and also you don't have to blow the fan as fast, you don't you don't get all the noise. Yeah, when you're air cooling you have to put fans on, they burn power to blow airflow. The hotter it gets, the more airflow you have to put over. And then yeah, you get a bigger heat sink so that you can rotate the fan slower, but now you've got a heat sink, and then you have to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 once you blow the fan so fast, I mean, because they're physically moving the air, there's a noise. It's just unbearable. If you if you ever been to a a a a pop or a data center, I mean, you 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 know what I mean. <laughs> um, so liquid cooling would 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 fundamentally solve all those problems, and 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 also uh, running much more efficient as efficiently as well. So. Mm. Uh, and you can cool much higher heat dissipation density uh, devices as well, uh, uh, like like we keep producing uh, these days. I mean, in a few years ago, you 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 have thirty watt ASICs. Now, I mean, anything under two hundred watt is probably a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the future, it's pushing to into a thousand watt. Uh-huh. So, so liquid cooling is is the way to to get those uh, those heat to get the, uh, to get the heat away, so that you can continue to add more steps in the. The reason you want to get the heat away is so you can keep the die going. 
Um, right, and right. More, uh, more gates inside of the die means you can get more functions into the die, and that's why cooling is important. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, the semiconductor is all about all about integration, right? Mm. So, integration uh, give you more um, more efficiency in in because the, the you don't have to drive the the wire as long, you don't consume mm. as much power. But then, but then it's still once you put more and more function inside small area, the heat density is increasing. So, so so air air cooling has its limits. The liquid cooling would 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 solve some of those problems. In fact, we have done some work, we have some demo that in our labs that, that shows liquid cooling is a viable technology. It's just that uh, the customer need to uh, uh, <laughs> need to take that step. Uh, yeah. So if we start seeing that. vendors talk about um, liquid cooling and silicon photonics, we'll know pretty much why. Yeah. Well, I think that's just about going to wrap up the discussion. Thanks very much to Chang Hong Wu for joining us to talk to us. He's been incredibly gracious with his time. And I hope you've got some more insights into the differentiation between merchant silicon and custom silicon. In particular, we've talked a lot about the Penta and the Trio silicon, which is actually at the heart of Juniper's routing engines, especially as we talked about at the high end. And maybe you've got some insights as to why the silicon is, is the right way to go for the product decisions. If you want to find out more about this, we've tried to collect the links to do that we talked about so the trio packet pressing engine and some of the other areas that we've talked about there'll be links in the show notes on the packet pushes website that point you to the juniper site in the forums where you can read those articles that chang hon referred to they'll be there for you as always thank you so much for listening to the packet pushes today as always we have many more fine and free technical podcasts complete with analysis and news for you to consume along with our community blog at packetpushes.net you can follow us on twitter if you want to hear more about us and when our new podcasts get out there you can find us on linkedin like us on facebook and if you really would help us if you could rate us on apple Podcasts, that really helps us to be found and last but not least remember that too much networking would never be enough